turbulent times call for clear-headed insight. That's hard to come by these days, especially on TV. That's where we come in. Salem News Channel has the greatest collection of conservative minds all in one place. People you know and trust, like Dennis Prager, Eric Metaxas, Charlie Kirk, and more. Unfiltered, unapologetic truth. Find what you're searching for at snc.tv and on Local Now Channel 525. Every other Friday I wake up knowing it's going to be a great day because I look forward to the last work thing I get to do in the week, and that's talk to Pete Peterson, one of my favorite people and certainly one of the nation's most distinguished academics. He's the dean of the Pepperdine School of Public Policy, publicpolicy.pepperdine.edu. Pete, how are you? It's good to talk to you again. Great to be with you, Seth. Always great to and the weekend, and uh, the week together. You, you call in, and or I call you, and there's no trepidation, and yet we have no topics that we discuss or usually pre-discuss, and I love that about you. I once had a teacher, I don't know if you knew him or of him, a little controversial, uh, at one point in his career named Fred Ballitzer. I don't know if that name means mm-hmm. anything. doesn't no. matter. He once said, you learn political philosophy, you can have any conversation, right? <laughs> you, you, can, you, can, you can talk Very about good. anything. <laughs> yes, that's what we teach here, by the way. Good. So very very Good. well put. I haven't heard that, but yeah. I'll start using it. Yes, it's 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 very Straussian. It's a very Straussian notion, Pete. Yes. We're going to turn Pepperdine into another Straussian outpost before <laughs> before we're done with this uh, radio show. Pete, I, um, I've heard a lot, as you have over the years and uh, through certainly archives from, the, um, from the, the Office of the Press Secretary of the White House, this was uttered today by Jen Psaki. I don't know if you've heard it, but I have no. to tell you, at least when it comes to public health, it's maybe the worst thing I've ever heard from 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue. I'm going to ask your mm. patience if I can play it for you for one moment. Of course. Thank you. He says that his concern is about harmful emotional, academic, and psychological effects of putting kindergartners in maths for hours at a time. Is there any concern from officials that you guys talked to in your early pre-decisional uh, discussions about that? No, there's not. And I will tell you from personal experience, my rising kindergartner told me two days ago she could wear a mask all day. And Pete, she's just we've happy gone, to- we have gone, Pete, from Rochelle Walensky speaking in her personal capacity when we're following the science to now taking advice and examples of six-year-olds if they happen to have Saki as their last name. It's about the worst thing I think I've ever heard. Honest to God, people are very serious about this stuff, and there are innumerable studies now about the harmful effects of masks on children. She's asked a legitimate question, did the administration ever take into account those concerns, educational, psychological, social? No. There's no, there was no taking of that into, into concern or account. My six-year-old is perfectly capable. My kindergartner is perfectly capable and happy to wear a mask. Thus, we should all wear masks. I don't know. I suppose if, uh, if, if, my, if, if, if your child or mine were to come home and say, I saw no racism today, we could tell Joe Biden that he was full of it, that this is not a racist nation. This is worse than Jimmy Carter talking about Amy Carter and nuclear war. Six-year-old example of Jen Psaki? It's in the face of all science. 
It's outrageous, Seth. Yeah, I mean, follow the scientists became follow the kindergartners. Sorry, last point. Follow the science became follow the kindergartners. Go ahead. Well, and and just to be more specific, follow the kindergartner. Yeah, singular. Thank you. You know, I mean, if we were really to follow the kindergartners, plural, then we would go to those studies that you rightly cite and demonstrate that this is actually harmful Mm -hmm. to kids. Um, this is outrageous on two levels. One, one is for the very reason that we're talking about, and, and you uh, clearly and eloquently put forth, Seth, is that we're listening to one individual case to set national policy. But the question, just to go back to the, the journalist's question, was not simply about, uh, you know, did you make this decision without this information right, right. it was did you even consider right, it right as part of your deliberation right, right. and any american and, and uh, i'm sure that just to foreshadow i'm sure another subject we're going to get to this is the reason we we're having a recall election in the blue state of california right, right now right right is that we are not following the science it involves our kids and we're being told those of us who are parents as I am of a child that's elementary school age, that if we have these reservations, if we try to cite these studies, that we're the problem. <laughs> and that, that, is, that is really outrageous. It's never a good thing when the American people are your enemy uh, and mm. when you make the American people your enemy. Well, and Seth, I want to put a finer point when American parents yeah. are your enemy. That's right. That's right. You know, that we, we need to be specific on this. If he's if, – if uh, Jen Psaki is going to pull the parent card, yeah, that's right. <laughs> then we all get a chance to pull the parent I, card. I, I think that's right. I, this, is, this, is, this is worse worse than bad advice. This is worse than flying in the face of science. It's true nihilism. Mm. Pete, Pete, that's a good point. Remind me on something. Uh, help me remember the move, the initial and original move – to recall Gavin Newsom, was it over COVID mitigation? Was it homelessness? Was it kind of a, a blend of just general failures? It was in the beginning, okay. but it really did pick up steam uh, through the school year. And then uh, the signature gathering picked up a pace as the school year went on. And then the trigger moment that really sent in hundreds of thousands of signatures was the French Laundry incident, uh-huh. which, again, was very particular in the sense that he was there with his children. Yeah. You know, that, that the photographs of seeing him playing with his kids, nobody with masks on, out at a restaurant. If he had been there by himself with one other person, that would have been one thing. But to be there with his family, no masks on, while everybody else is being told kids with masks, you know, schools are closed and so forth. This was very much of a family-oriented uh, anger that tipped the scales uh, towards the end of last year into the beginning of this one. Pete, am I right in thinking this or saying this or not? But when we talk about that incident, 
or the Nancy Pelosi uh, hair 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 washing or whatever hair styling hair dyeing right. incident whatever <laughs> she does to her hair it's good it, she does a good job I I mean all, all, all it, it, it's good hair <laughs> whatever you want to say about her she has good hair uh, whatever that was the multiple other examples uh, whether it's uh, the governor of uh, Michigan whether it's the mayor of Austin you know these examples of Democrats doing these things yes of course the hypocrisy of course but isn't there am I right or wrong to point out, it's it's actually bigger than hypocrisy, and I don't know if the hypocrisy angle moves many people, and maybe this doesn't move many people, but it's it's not that they're hypocrites, it's that they clearly are liars. They don't believe what they're saying. If they believed what they're saying, they would not put themselves in the positions they tell us if we put ourselves in, we will die. It means they are, it means they don't believe what they're telling us. Well, and and I think I think you're right. But I would also just add, I think that there's another layer to this, which is what we're being told we can't do is suffering a significant – we're bearing a significant price. Okay. Okay. Right? It would be one thing if, you know, uh, John Kerry is out there, you know, flying around in private Mm -hmm. jets Mm -hmm. and telling us that we can't. It's another thing to say uh, that your kids can't go to school (laughs) – and you're seeing the price that they're bearing by not going to school, and you're going out to dinner at one of the top restaurants as your kids go to private school, and you're bearing, you're living a significantly different life because of that hypocrisy. And I, I really do think that's the thing that made this a multi-partisan recall effort mm-hmm. was the fact that these issues around parents and kids and school, uh, yes, there was hypocrisy, but it was hypocrisy that we were, the parents were, were bearing a significant price. Is that not the entire story, really, of COVID, though, in a sense, Pete, that it was the elites asking yeah. the working class to sacrifice from them? No one at CNN or MSNBC or the New York Times or the DNC or the Washington Post got laid off, and none of them had to leave their houses to work. Isn't yeah. wasn't this wasn't this a very classist kind of mediation? I completely agree with that. Everything from working styles that were either hampered or not by lockdowns. Uh, by schooling arrangements that were hampered or not by lockdowns, depending on whether your kids were going to private schools or you had money for tutors or not. Um, you know, that that is a significant dimension. And again, from a political standpoint, is really what is a wedge issue, particularly in the Democratic Party. Newsom has to be... Uh, <laughs> very careful that if he pushes too hard uh, in support of his major funding base, which is the teachers union, uh, that if he goes too far in that direction, uh, he could really lose a lower and middle class uh, group of Democrats that are demanding that we return to school uh, in a state of, of normal classes. Working Class Party, here we come. Can we pick up on that thought when we come back? Very much. I'm Seth Leibson. I was about to say I'm Pete Peterson. He's Seth Leibson. <laughs> it's been a freaky Friday, that would be. I'll be right back.
Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. As we do every other Friday, we check in with the uh, thoughts from Pete Peterson. He is the dean of the Pepperdine School of Public Policy in gorgeous Southern California. Uh, Pete, I want to get an update from you on what the polls are showing in the California recall race, which happens in just over a month, I guess. It takes place in just over a month. But I also want to talk about the Republican Party and the working class part and the working class and making the Republican Party that working class party once again. Years ago, Ross Douthat and Ryan Salam wrote a book on this. Was it called Sam's Club Republicans or something like that? And I remember they said the Republican Party might might do well just to start start by by quit talking about corporations and start talking about markets. It certainly has to get back into the business of talking about family formation, which I think has been we've been we've shrunk from. It's interesting to me on that very issue how hard the left is moving against it family formation as we used to understand it. It seems to me there is a time and a place now to call for it again and that uh, that the time couldn't be better. But talk to me about the situation in California. It really is a story of two cities, isn't it? A tale of two cities. It really is a very one of the most um, one of the most economically stratified places perhaps in the world. We uh, is the case. We have uh, one of, if not the highest poverty rate in the nation, and certainly some of the richest, wealthiest uh, zip codes in America. Uh, so we certainly have that bifurcation. Uh, what's happening on the recall front, it is the date has been set for September 14th. Uh, mail-in ballots are going out within the next uh, week or 10 days, depending on what county that you're living in. But the trend lines have to be concerning to the governor. Um, The San Diego Union-Tribune just came out with a poll yesterday uh, of uh, all voters, not necessarily those that are likely, and I'll get into one of those polls in a second, but just of California voters, which shows a 51 to 40 percent support for recalling the governor. Oh, my gosh, that's a reversal of about, wow, that's like a a month, uh, that's a reversal from about a month ago, isn't it? That's right. It's it's not only a a reversal, it's almost a a mirror of uh, the double-digit gap that we saw in many of these polls on the other side, uh, just going back a few weeks ago. On the question of, in a separate poll that came out just a few days ago, um, of likely California voters, it showed a 48 to 56, uh, 48 to 46 percent, a two percentage gap uh, in support of the governor and against the recall. But that two percent gap of likely California voters, and again, as we've discussed before, Seth, the turnout models for an off-cycle recall election in which the only two questions on the ballot are going to be the recall question and then who you vote to replace the governor. It's almost impossible, I think, to put together a turnout model. Um, but the trend line, again, this 2% gap really has sent shockwaves through the California political establishment because here we stand just about a month out from the election and politics and campaigns are about trends and the trend lines are going against the governor and the issues that precipitated those trend lines, namely 
the rise in cases, the actions that cities are taking and school districts are taking that really precipitated the recall in the first place, all those issue trend lines are going against the governor as well. I I wonder, you know, in Arizona, it's hard or outside of California, it's hard to get a sense, a little bit harder to get a sense of the aggressiveness with which Gavin Newsom might be using uh, the media to his advantage or as best as he thinks to his advantage. But it does seem to me compared to things like a year ago when he was riding high, he's doing a lot fewer public appearances. My guess is he doesn't want to be asked a lot of if I'm right, my guess is it's because he doesn't want to be asked a lot of questions about shutdowns, mask mandates, vaccine passports and school openings. The timing couldn't have been worse for him. But those issues are issues he brought on himself, I will also say. But am I right? Is he doing less media than he used to? He is. And I would just also say that he was deeply involved in setting the date for this recall. (laughs) Right. So in setting it September 14th, um, many here have understood that in setting it so early that he understood that the later he set it into the fall, much less if he were to set it on a normal cycle, say in in early November, That offered more opportunities for the increase in cases, some of the things that we're already seeing. I see. But now he's really put himself in a vice yeah. because those issues are increasing in notoriety yeah. and angst and stress. Uh, but he only has a few weeks now to try to bend these trend lines. And uh, it's, it's proving to be very difficult. Is it COVID and all the stress that goes around it? Possible vaccine passports, school issues, starting, not starting, masking children, not masking them, vaccinating universally to reopen. Is, is it that series of issues? Is it the candidacy, a little bit of the candidacy of Larry Elder, so a, prominent, a more prominent Republican in, in front of the voters? Uh, what, what would you attribute to this reversal of numbers? It's a complex question because you're right. These are There are going to be only two questions on the ballot. Right. The first, of course, is do you vote to recall the governor? Yes, no. And if that question is above 50 yeah. percent, you have the opportunity to then choose one of what's going to be about 45 or 46 candidates, of which Larry Elder is one of those. I think the polling, at least on the recall, is actually not so much uh, being – Uh, precipitated or influenced by the alternative candidates, whether it's Larry Elder or uh, Mayor Faulkner, who I know I've mentioned here before. Oh, yeah, let me mention uh, Mayor Faulkner as well as on your faculty, you bet. That's right. That's right. But it really is about these issues, which, again, it makes it more problematic for the governor. Um, It would be one thing if, if there was an Arnold Schwarzenegger out there who was just really blowing away the field and and the fact that he was seen as an alternative made it more likely that the recall vote would go forward on that first question. When it comes down to the you can you can pick apart an alternative candidate. That's obviously what all political campaigns are about. But when it's really just an up or down vote on your candidacy. Yeah. Uh, and, and these issues, again, are going against the governor. Yeah. If you're not going to step against those issues and step out and say we're going to be more like Florida, which obviously Newsom has not, 
then you're really in a bind. Yeah, I see it. No, I, I totally see it. All right, let, let's pick up what I threatened to do in this segment, but we had to put off. Let's talk about the conservative movement, the Republican Party, and the working class when we come back. Yes, sir? Yes, look forward to it. Uh, great. I'm Seth Liebson. He is Pete Peterson, the dean of the Pepperdine School of Public Policy, publicpolicy.pepperdine.edu. When we talk about graduate schools that are the problem in America, which most are, Pepperdine School of Public Policy is the solution. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leapson Show. Pete Peterson is our guest. <coughs> Excuse me. He's the dean at the Pepperdine School of Public Policy. You can follow him on Twitter at Pete4, the number four, at pete 4 C.A. C.A. for California. Pete, the Republican Party and the working class, we keep talking about it. Occasionally we make some inroads. I thought we did in 2016. Occasionally we lose them. How does it look when you gaze at it from the perspective of California, what maybe the conservative movement in California can teach us, or what you think the conservative movement really across America should be teaching us with regard to the middle and working class Americans? Well, Seth, I think it's fair to say that we are seeing uh, the divisions within the Democratic Party along class lines that uh, we may be getting uh, glimpses of um, nationally. And while I think these trend lines have been occurring for the last few years, as we just discussed, uh, COVID has really uh, planted a wedge into what was already a, a, a crack. Um, the way that I describe it is that they're within the Democratic Party, particularly here in California, is what I call the wine and cheese Democrats and the beer and pretzel Democrats. Okay. Uh, the wine and cheese Democrats are uh, interested more in environmental issues, tend to live on the coast, tend to be uh, upper middle and upper class, uh, college educated, interested in issues related to um, uh, the environment, but also um, issues relating to uh, CRT and those kinds of but the environment uh, is very clearly their first issue isn't it or at least it was until a year ago i would think it is yeah yeah no that and and certainly as it intersects with policy um that that and especially as it relates to uh jobs occupied by those in the lower and lower middle class uh that's that's really where the division is being drawn and so the beer and pretzel democrats would be uh, more uh, middle, lower middle class. Uh, if they are connected to a union, it would be a private sector union. Whereas on the on the wine and cheese, you would see more of the uh, public sector or government unions being represented there. Tend to be more ethnically diverse. Tend to be more in jobs that you uh, you come home with some aches and pains. Uh, physical work, work that demands presence, can't be done remotely will be high school educated by and large or maybe some uh, community college and on in in that bifurcated model uh the issue uh or the policy regime of what might be called California's blue state model uh are are really predominantly being set for the wine and cheese democrats and not for the beer and pretzel which is 
obviously being seen in part by we're seeing, um, you know, so many in those demographic categories uh, leaving the state. Uh, I think, you know, we've discussed before California for the first time in its history has lost a congressional seat. And and deeper analysis, what we've seen is the Californians who are leaving tend to be in that lower middle to middle class, tend to be more ethnically diverse. Those who are coming tend to be wealthier, whiter, and also uh, higher levels of education living on the coast. And so uh, the question before the Republican Party, which has suffered greatly, <laughs> as you know, yeah. uh, and in large part, and I think there is some uh, fairness to the accusation that after Prop 187 and uh, the growing Hispanic um, uh, voter block here in the state and a perception that Republicans were not supportive of them. Um, the question now before the party is, are they going to reach out to a whole section of voters who can say, as Reagan once did, that they didn't leave the Dem- or the, they didn't leave the Democratic Party. The Democratic Party left them, mm-hmm. and that that is happening here in California. And I wonder how much of the memory of 187 sticks uh, yep. w- when we think about it. It must have been what about 20, 25 years ago. Let me pick up on that when we come back and talk about maybe the message that conservatives might want to propound given these dynamics, Pete. I, I love, love love what you're saying, and I, I have a few ideas. Let me run them by you, and I'd love to get yours. When we come back, more from Pete Peterson, dean of the public, uh, the Pepperdine School of Public Policy, Pepper, uh, excuse me, publicpolicy.pepperdine.edu, publicpolicy.pepperdine.edu. I kind of like that tag. If most graduate schools are the problem, Pepperdine is the answer and the solution. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. Delighted to have with us Pete Peterson. He is the dean at the Pepperdine School of Public Policy, publicpolicy.pepperdine.edu. Pete, talking about appealing more to the working classes from the perspective of a conservative, um, let me let me let me start this way. Let me let me start big and and, and reduce down as we go. If you agree, there were. Two, in recent memory at least, two presidential candidates in the Republican Party that really did speak to working class voters, so much so that they got the phenomena of something Democrats, Reagan Democrats, Trump Democrats. Uh, and, and what's ironic about it is that these two candidates came from, I don't know how you would put it, the most elite of elite uh, backgrounds. I mean, there's just not of a lot of Americans uh, traffic a lot with movie stars, and not of a lo- not a lot of Americans traffic with Manhattan billionaires. And there's this thing, this odd thing going on in our movement debating, you know, that we can't just keep doing Reagan 2.0, or the age of Reagan was right in its time. But the world and the country has moved on from that. You've certainly seen these kinds of debates and discussions. And it's almost as if they're poising the Trump conservatives against the Reagan conservatives. 
And I, I, I got to think it's just wrong when you think of the things we liked, uh, I liked about Donald Trump, let me put it that way, more than any other, whether it was the judicial nominees or whether what it was starting the American engine through, uh, through, through tax reform or whether it was standing up to tin pot dictators that like to push America around like Iran or big dictators like communist China. We, we took the kick me sign off our back. You know, these are all things that Reagan also would have done or did or what we liked about Reagan. I just don't think the divide is there, but I do think the absence of talking to those sentiments is there. You see it a little bit in Ron DeSantis, Ivy League educated, interestingly enough, as well, a little bit. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. he has that appeal. And it seems to me it does come down frankly, to issues of jobs, issues of crime, issues of education, but Mm -hmm. issues that really the vector for all those problems does begin with family formation. I really think it does. It does. You're you're right, Seth, and I I agree with your broader assessment regarding uh, the fact that there isn't uh, as much of a difference between the so-called Reagan Democrats and the Trump Democrats. Uh, both of those categories of voters really brought about by uh, focused and direct outreach, both in rhetoric and in policy, um, responding to them, both responding also uh, to an, a perceived and actual elitism uh, on the part of democratic uh, political institutions and politicians. Um you're right to say the family formation piece is, is central and important, and speaking that language, both in policy and political rhetoric, uh, is one that, that can cut across uh, partisan, partisan divides. But I, but I also think that there are, there are policy platforms as well um, that, that need to be uh, considered. I mean, just looking here in California, you know, the the domination of this state's politics by public sector unions uh, is really breathtaking. As someone who didn't grow up out here, uh, came out here to California about 15 years ago, uh, I always thought the Northeast was the kind of domain of, of union politics, but but unions, and particularly public sector unions, and particularly, uh, more specific than that, teachers' unions, uh, dominate politics out here, and in that they dominate policy, and in that um, the the fissure has been exposed uh, by COVID um, in in the policies around uh, the closing of schools and the fact that many of the people that are the politicians on the Democratic side, including the governor, who are taking campaign donations from these public sector teachers unions and are remaining pretty quiet about the closing of schools or mask policies for kindergartners or whatever the case might be, are the same ones that are sending their kids to private schools and never really suffered uh, the way that so many uh, parents of public uh, school kids did. And so there in the... Uh, weighing of economic policy more in the interests of environmental interests, uh, driving out uh, middle class and lower middle class industrial uh, and commercial jobs, driving out home building out of this state. Uh, You know, these are real policy differences that I think Republicans 
occasionally discuss, um, but really need to focus on is is government uh, there to to help these families and people in these economic classes, uh, or are they going to continue to be perceived as the party that just cares about the so-called tax cuts for the rich? Now, I think what Trump demonstrated is that. You know, you can speak that language and and change the identity of the party in ways that we're talking about. And I think again, California is presenting an incredible case study of of uh, policies that are uh, creating these fissures within the Democratic voter base here. Um, but but that work uh, needs to continue. Pete, let's <coughs> stay with the um, school part for a moment because. The middle class and schools, there's a lot of relationships there, a lot. Uh, first of all, we always thought of schools as the place that could help give people who were born in, 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 in lower quintiles opportunities to climb the ladder. That was one thing. Certainly assimilation uh, and introduction to you know American uh, civics was another. And then let's just be very practical um, – Working-class families have to put their children somewhere uh, between, you know, eight and five in the in, mm-hmm. in, in the mm-hmm. after, it, it, during during the weekdays, mm-hmm. and it reminds me, you know, everything that the schools have done to the middle class reminds me, quite frankly, of that old Woody Allen joke of the two women at a Catskill resort, where one says the food here is terrible and the other says yes in such small, such portions, small portions too, right? <laughs> right? This this is right. Right. Yeah. This this is this is yeah. the conundrum because we know the schools. A lot of them. There are some very fine public schools. There's, there's yes. no doubt there are, but a lot yep. of them just aren't doing the job with gobs of money. And even without doing the job, parents had to send their schools there. But the teachers' unions and the Democrats in California and in too many other places said no. We're going to punish the children and the working class to save the elites. And there was there you have another example of the upper quintiles punishing the lower quintiles. This just seems like fruit ripe for us to pick. Well, and it was a double it's been a double edged sword with this uh response to COVID. Not only were parents, especially those again in the lower and middle classes, uh greatly impacted by uh public school closures, but then they were able to see what's actually being taught in their schools. So yeah, uh, right. Such small portions, know, too, is that right. That's the other side. Right. Exactly. That's right. Yeah. And so, you know, for for parents that got a whole that essentially had the schoolroom brought into their living room, uh, they they not only were suffering the consequences of of policies that were not allowing them to send their kids away to school, but then they got a sense of the content of what's being taught. And I think in both of those areas, uh, the highly ideological curricula uh, that some public schools are implementing, frankly, also cuts against the interests of many in this, you know, beer and pretzel yeah. Democrat category yeah. I'm talking about. Yeah, which I think is getting smaller. And I think the wine and cheese one is getting bigger. You yeah. don't get beer and pretzels at Nancy Pelosi's house. And, and the bigger but also more powerful. Yeah, I think yeah, that's, that's the yeah. problem, the, the power. Yeah. Pete, you're you're just wonderful. It's great hearing you. You are a tonic and a salve, as is your school. Thank you for everything you're doing, and thanks for visiting with us as you do on these Fridays. Thanks, Seth.
God bless you and Godspeed. Pete Peterson from the Pepperdine School of Public Policy. Publicpolicy.pepperdine.edu. If most graduate schools are the problem, Pepperdine is the solution. We'll be right back with some closing thoughts. <gasps> Thank you for spending some of your week with us, some of your afternoon. We don't take any of you for granted. We appreciate you tremendously, which is why I'm sorry for those of you on hold that didn't get on. Please do call back next week. We will make it up to you, and I'll make sure to put you on right ahead of the list if you say you were on hold and we didn't get you. I'll close with something I alluded to earlier from C.S. Lewis. I know of no better description of our times, such as the tragic such as the tragic comedy of our situation, we continue to clamor for those very qualities which we are rendering impossible. You can hardly open a periodical without coming across the statement that what our civilization needs is more drive or dynamism or self-sacrifice or creativity. But in a sort of ghastly simplicity, we have removed the organ and demanded the function. We make men without chests and expect of them virtue and enterprise. We laugh at honor and are shocked to find traitors in our midst. We castrate and bid the gildings be fruitful. We can reverse it. We have these opportunities. Maybe it starts in California, and then it just moves east, state by state. If that's what it takes and that's where we have to start, we'll do it. Until Monday, God bless you all, truly and class dismissed.